My name is Janice B. Gordon, and this is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 43 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn Sales as one of 15 innovating sales influencers to follow. In this episode of Scale Your Sales podcast, my guest who was at uh, HubSpot for over eight years really developed his, his expertise for developing partnerships and talked about how partnership can deliver um, value at scale. And so you're going to love what he has to say about this. But not only that, there was so much real insight and knowledge about managing your team, about sales leadership and really understanding how you can become future focus. There was so much great insight in, in this conversation for all sales leaders. My next guest is Senior Director of Revenue at New Breed, HubSpot's top partner. He is an experienced partnership and go-to-market leader with a proven track record in driving SaaS growth. He is the host of the Outcomes podcast, a show about partnerships in SaaS. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Barrett King. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really fired up to have this conversation. Yes, and we started so well, didn't we? So let's see how it goes. <laughs> the best of friends. I already feel this is going to be one of my favorite conversations today for sure oh good oh good right well so i'd really like to understand uh partnerships you know how partnerships really deliver value when you're scaling how does that all work i like to keep it simple so the way that i think about partnerships is you should be looking at your customer and look for the ways in which they're already getting value outside of your core business so there's probably integrations there may be secondary providers or solutions providers, if you will, that are doing work on your platform or alongside your existing services. There are businesses that exist around yours that are helping your customers do better, do more. And in partnerships, we love talking about better together stories and better together outcomes. And so I think if you put at the core of what you're doing, the idea that we are truly trying to solve for our customer, not just sell them something, not just provide them something, but really solve for them, then if you're exploring outside your core business, you're finding these secondary, if you will, or tertiary individuals that are already delivering value. Partnerships provide leverage. They provide an opportunity to deliver your value at scale. They provide an opportunity for you to get in front of your future customers more often. There's all these different ways in which these types of dynamics actually benefit your organization. But most importantly is if you keep your customer at the nucleus of that, the center of these efforts, then it actually helps them. And by helping them, you grow more effectively, you go to market more you know, clearly and cleanly. And so there's a lot of different ways we can get into it, but partnerships is truly about better together outcomes. It's a great way of scaling, but it actually takes the, the there must be a certain mindset that's required in, because it's, it's always all about us, isn't it? It's always all about us. And I'm trying to sell you something. I want to keep it simple. I don't want to work so hard. So how do you get into the mindset of we're better together? To focus on the customer by asking the customer, by talking to the customer. So I, I definitely talked to a lot of folks, especially recently in go-to-market that say, I just want to scale my company, but I want to sell more things. I want to have a stickier customer. 
I always kind of chuckle to myself and say, of course, we all do. If we're in this for a different reason, then what are we doing? We're trying to build companies, build commerce, you know, make some cash, et cetera. If we work under the assumption, though, that that only is the case, if we actually sell something, if we actually deliver, you know, deliver on something, then we really should embody this ideology, if you will, that everything we do is for the betterment of others. Now, maybe that's a little bit too heady, a little bit too opportunistic in the way that I'm describing it. But in terms of a mindset and a focus, if every decision that you make as best you can, you ask, how does this help my customer? How does this help them to get value, to grow, to do the things that we're talking about here? Then the dialogue being centered around their customer becomes a natural part of your culture. And so obviously companies love to talk about culture being you know, the, the snack kitchen and the beer, you know, cabinet and all that stuff. And that is certainly a part perhaps of how you attract a certain type of employee. But if your culture is about solve for the customer first, and if you focus on rewarding that and incentivizing that, you bring it up in company meetings, you bring it up in every decision that you make, then partnership is a natural progression in that mindset. Because what you start to look for, again, as I said before, is who are the other companies? What are the other businesses that are already delivering value to our customer? There's this expression in partnerships that, Partners own your customer's trust. Your opportunity is to borrow that trust, add something to it, and help them deliver that back to your customer. And so if you think about it in terms of a mindset, ultimately keeping the, the customer at the center of it is sort of step one. Step two is in some ways, I think, obsessing over that outcome, obsessing over the idea that we can do more than just this thing that we're good at. How do we you know, enhance and deliver more value? And the third piece is this mindset, this concept of, and, you know, we talked about it briefly, but the better together outcome so if you can figure out a way to say one plus one is equal to three, so my company plus what you do at your company plus a customer equals everyone sort of rising tides lift all ships, right? Everyone elevating, then ultimately your go-to-market strategy can align better to that because it does. It reduces your CAC and increases your LTV. Your partnerships can center on that. Your team can sell on that basis. Your team can service on that basis. And so it really becomes this all-encompassing methodology of, solve for the customer, focus on the customer, and now partnerships becomes a natural progression with that. I love this, Barrett. I absolutely love this. I talk about um, customer-centric sales, and I often challenge leaders, if you don't know the outcome on your customer, how are you making that decision? Why are you making that decision? We often make a decision in isolation of the customer, which is a always, always a disaster. Every and time. we yep. don't really take the mindset of a customer or really think about what is the, then we talk about what is the value we're delivering the customer. It's always from our point of view. What is the outcome this customer is going to gain? And then working backwards from there may mean that actually I can't deliver on all of this. So who can I partner with to help to deliver on all of this? Yeah, it's the honesty, right? So it's really hard as leaders in organizations to be vulnerable and say, I can't, I can't do that thing. I won't be able to deliver that value. I think it's actually, in terms of mindset, in terms of what we're talking about here, more important than anything, that while you keep the customer at the center of what you're doing and your decision-making and the way that your culture builds, it's also being humble enough and being human enough to say, and I can't do it without them. Like this business doesn't exist yeah. without this customer. Therefore, I should ask them. I used to love when, when B2B leaders would say to me, how do I build a partner program? Like wrong first question. First question is, what are the things that my customers need that I can't do? Let me go figure out who those companies are and get their feedback on their customer. And if I haven't already, let me build ways to talk to my customer daily, weekly, monthly. One of the things that I learned when I was at HubSpot for about eight and a half years was the value of customer conversation, true transparency. I brought that here to Newbreed where I am now, HubSpot's number one partner. 
I just actually this morning, interestingly enough, talked to one of my team members about an hour ago. And he said, you know, I think we really nailed this proposal for the customer. I think they're just really excited about it. So how do you know? And he kind of paused and he was like, what do you mean? I said, how do you know that? I mean, you're, we're working under the assumption. He goes, well, they gave us a list and we checked off all the boxes. And we, you know, I made sure that the SOW, the work that we're doing really aligned to what they were talking about. And I went, cool. It's great. Did you ask them? And he kind of got nervous. And I said, there's nothing wrong with this, but like shoot them a text message. He goes, a text message? I said, yeah. Be honest, be real, be raw. Say, hey, look, I, I feel like we did a really good job here, but I want to know if we actually nailed it. Like, did you feel like we hit the mark? Is the price right? Is the value right? Does it get you where you want to be? And if it isn't, I would love the opportunity to fix that. And he was like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. And so I think if I were to kind of anchor this in something, Janice, you got to think about it in terms of taking the opportunity you have to earn your customer's trust and then keep that trust by listening to them, by asking questions and being open enough to say, I don't have the answers, but together we could probably find a way forward. And also being willing for the customer to say, no, you didn't get it right. Absolutely. That's why we don't want to ask that question. We actually no, don't we're want nervous. to hear the answer. We're nervous. Yeah, we don't to want to know the that. Answer. Yeah. yeah. And you right. know, how, how do you overcome that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that you have to be willing to hear it, like really, truly hear it. Right. And we always talk about um, in sales, active listening, you know, active listening is the act of listening. Yes. But with the intent to understand. Yeah. And so if we're doing our jobs right, when we say, did we get it right? Did we miss anything? What, what could we do better? The next function of that conversation is a truly open moment in which we elicit actual raw feedback and we write it down and we don't deflect. We don't defend. We just take it. I think that humanity, that humility is the best way for companies to scale more effectively, in particular today, when every customer matters, when every opportunity and relationship was under higher scrutiny because of market, because of world condition, because of just the state of business, we have an opportunity to be true listeners first. And so I think you have to develop that into your culture as well. Not just the, can I offer you feedback that we love to say in tech, right? Can I offer you some feedback? And then we just go into it. We never actually let them answer. They want the feedback. We want to ask our customers, could you give us feedback? Because we want to get better at what we're doing. And we do that through you know, the, the standard sort of like monthly survey. We do that through the round tables that we do with our highest value customers. We do that with our closed loss opportunities, reaching out and saying, what could we do differently next time? We enter into all of those with the idea that it's not about failure. It's not about negative in that sense. The connotation isn't, oh, we messed up. It's, it's a learning moment. So what if we could learn from this interaction so that the next time we have this opportunity, we absolutely do nail it and we really get it right for that customer. That's the passion, the almost obsession with the problem you're trying to solve. If you become obsessed with the issue, the challenge, the problem that your customers are, are excited about you solving for them, then you're a student of that outcome. You're a student of the behavior of it. And that's the way that you can sort of adjust your mindset toward feedback is not negative. But it's a way for us to improve the way that we you know, deliver that outcome. You need to have a leadership that is completely on board to this because we know Absolutely. that you know much of the sales environment is all about the metrics and the numbers that's you know driving a certain behavior which isn't always healthy and is certainly contrary to what we're talking about so how do you get the you might have the leadership and the culture all has to be aligned to ensure that we're willing to let some of these deals go we're willing to hear this feedback but also we've got to act on it so we've got to have that kind of leadership and culture how does that happen because it's not 
it's not intuitive to the cells environment. Yeah, it's, not. it's not. Yeah, it's a good call out. You have to let go of the idea that it's growth at all costs. And I think that's a shift that's taking place in technology and B2B SaaS and sales right now in general, because people are recognizing that, you know, I describe it as like, um, you know, driving a, a train down the tracks. My son loves trains. So I'll use that analogy. Like you get up in the morning and the train leaves the station every day. Right. And you have to be on that train. That's the job that we all do. We get up, we put our clothes on, we do our routine and we get on that train and the train leaves the station and we're on our journey at that point. One of the things that's important is that the leadership has to do the same thing with you. They have to work alongside you. They have to set the expectation of excellence as they do their job. Right. The other part of it is, you know, thinking about it in terms of the big picture. So to your point, it's a cultural foundation. It's the idea that we're not just going to sell a deal because it helps us transact revenue today, but we're going to to transact with a customer that we're going to be able to help tomorrow. And so we make it really about the foundational value versus the element of the sale. So actually, we do this here at Newbreed. One of the things that I, I'm really impressed by my team every day is they come to me sometimes and they say, I don't know if I want to work with this customer. I'm like, great question. Awesome question. They're not saying, I don't know if I want to sell this deal. They're saying, I don't know if I want to work with this customer. And we talk through it. Well, they, they had this question that I'm not sure aligns to the way that we do the work. What do you think about that? Like, why don't let's have a conversation with them. Let's get on a call. Let's get some feedback going. Let's have a dialogue. Maybe we can bring them closer to our methodology. Maybe we should flex to theirs. That comes from the top. So my CEO, Patrick, really believes that we are here to help companies grow better, grow more effectively, really change the way that they go to market. My CRO, Jonathan, believes that. Mala, my head of HR and, and people ops, believes that the people that we bring into this organization should believe that, invest in that, and focus on it too. So, you know, long-winded answer, but I think culturally it's a part of who you are. The moment you abandon this idea that it's growth at all costs, it really is about helping people. And that comes from this concept that building companies shouldn't be about the the destination to be about the journey you have to obsess over the journey and focus on the way that you get there and how you do the work not the destination of we, we closed that deal and we took their revenue and you know our bottom line grew and like the company did more this you know month or week or whatever it is yeah yeah love that so we were talking about the the people so how do you know you've got the right people the right sales people to achieve the goals in that culture how does that happen such a fun question. No one's asked me that, at least in a while. I do something that I I can't take credit for. I learned it from others, but I do attribute-based interviews. So I pick specific qualities that we have defined as success criteria to be a good advisor and a good salesperson here. Um, I've seen this in tech a little bit. Some companies do it really, really well and some don't, but you have to make it about a standardization of excellence and not just deal excellence, i.e. can you run a sales process and get somebody to say yes and sign on the dotted line? But it's the the values in which you you wrap into the ability to run a good discovery, the ability to you know run a good presentation, et cetera. So one of the things that I look for is the figure it out factor. Are you entrepreneurial at heart? Do you look for ways to improve a process, improve a customer interaction or, or the way that you work with your peers? That's definitely something that helps because they're always seeking this idea that like we can do a little bit better. Like I don't need you to go and reinvent the wheel every month. But if you add 1% more value than it did the month before, we're always growing and we're learning. And the second point, which that leads me to, is the idea of a learning mindset. I think that is invaluable. I actually won't work with people that don't want to learn. Um, maybe it's a little bit extreme in terms of won't work. I don't like to work, perhaps, is a better way to phrase it. Because I find that the best salespeople, the best consultants, advisors, whatever language you use, 
are the ones that enter into this every day thinking I can learn something today. So A, I can approve, B, I can learn, and C, I care about my peers. Like it, they believe that this is a sort of some of their parts opportunity. And so what I find are the best teams, the organizations that understand that their job is to elevate each other, work together. That comes from a culture of transparency. So every organization I've ever worked in, I have either brought or walked into the idea that we will be transparent about everything we do. How many phone calls did you make yesterday? How many emails did you send? All the way down to, you know, is this opportunity stalled? And should we get together as a group and talk about that? And so it's this culture of building toward a different deliverable outcome, a different goal together and doing so in a way that, you know, I, I know every organization, particularly in sales, has that like one lone wolf. They kind of work on their own and they crush their number and they're always celebrated for it. I actually devalue that a little bit. I don't do it in a mean way. I'm not you know, aggressive about it, but I want folks that want to help each other because that's the way that we all grow. And so that's ultimately the way I think about sort of building that culture because you start first in the interview process with attributes that wrap into those characteristics. You have conversations and I, I use the um, uh, star method in my interview process. So situation, task, action, result. If you're listening and don't know it, go Google it. It's amazing because it forces true life examples around not just a response, oh, I've done that before and here's how I did it, but a tactical and specific use case wherein I can then actually understand how do they think about problems? How do they think about helping customers? How do they think about working with their peers and start to check those boxes I just described to you? Yeah, love it, love it. A method that I use is a database that's been going for about 30 years and it's um, assessed salespeople. So it's sales specific. And um, to the extent that it can uh, guarantee that the if you put a, a sales candidate through the assessment, they guarantee that they'll be in the top quartile by the end of the year because they've assessed so many people, they know what best looks like. And interestingly, yep. it's not skills, it's not entirely skills-based. There's so many things around sales that you cannot measure for because they're intrinsic, but are critical exactly. to sell success. And so, you know, you want to make sure that you're ticking off those boxes um, to make sure that you've got the right people in the right seats, because that's often a mistake. You've got salespeople oh, yeah. that are not even in the right positions. And this will, because we've got the benchmarks uh, across 2.5 million assessments across 200 countries and, you know, different markets and, and sectors, then it means that it's a, a lot easier to gauge, is this person on the job going to succeed? 100%. We all yeah. know in this sales industry, what happens is that uh, the top salesperson gets recruited into management and they're terrible at it. They're a yep. lone wolf. <laughs> you yep. know, they're 100%. not, they're all yeah. about the eye and not, but there's so many dynamics in sales that are particular to sales that might work in other industries that are a disaster for our industry. So we need to um, be very much focused on the, on the metrics that actually work for salespeople. So I really love what you, you know, you've, you saying you've come up with. So we all know that we've made mistakes in uh, recruiting uh, the wrong salespeople for the wrong roles. So um, what do you say to other sales leaders? There must be, you know, for you to have come around to this, this mindset and the way that you've tested, what do you say to other sales leaders to help them to um, develop their thinking around sales and, and, and leadership. And there may be people in your team as well that you're you're nurturing into leadership. How how do you go about doing that? 
I have a um, I have a specific example that worked really well for me early in my career after college. I graduated when the economy had just kind of tanked with the housing crisis. I didn't have yeah. a lot of opportunity in tech, which is what I wanted to do. I worked in restaurants, and I had this general manager that I worked for. It was my first real kind of professional job post college. I was running the restaurant. He was the GM, so he was sort of like the overarching lead. And he said to me one day, um, "It's a very simple example." He said, um, "You know that table over there had yet to be cleaned, and I've watched it. It's been open for about ten minutes." Why hasn't it been cleaned? And my first reaction was, oh, let me grab one of the busters, the people that are are you know set up to do that work, and I'll have them go and clean it. And he looked at me and he said, that's the wrong answer. In the middle of an extremely busy Saturday night with a two-hour wait and all this stuff going on around me. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, what are you doing right now? I said, I'm managing the front. I got the door and I got the bar and everything's going on. And he smiled and he said, but what are you doing right now? And I said, talking to you. And he goes, and what could you be doing? And I said, clearing the table. And he said, right, do first, then you can ask. One of the things that I've learned in my career from that moment, I still think about it. That was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Such a simple thing was this idea of servant leadership, this idea of doing the work first. I think if you're a sales leader and you're listening to me talk right now and you are not doing the work, there is no ivory tower. There is no high horse. There is no expression that I can you know, give that says that you can't do the work. I work with my team every day. I work deals for them, with them. I help them think about how to negotiate and I write an email with them. I do a call review with them. Everything that I do every day is about us getting better. There is no, you know, I've got a a big title, senior director of revenue. I'm a person just like you are. I put on my pants the same way and my shirt the same way. And, you know, I have a family and a life and I live in a home and all these things. We have no differentiation other than what we create in these dynamics. So my two cents, if you're a sales leader, do the work. Be there talking to your customers, be there running a sales process alongside your team and be humble about it. That's ultimately for me, we start to uncover the true nature of your sales team, because I agree, like I've taken assessments like DISC and predictive index, and I've done a bunch of those and those work exceptionally well, the baseline. I've had great interview processes where we use, you know, specific attributes and we're very intentional and we test for it. And yet we still have a bad hire. And I think a lot of it comes down to, did we get into it enough together? Like you can learn a lot about a person by being alongside them shoulder to shoulder, combating a problem or trying to solve for something. So my two cents is if you're not doing this today, you should be go get out there, like join some calls, be a part of a sales, run a full sales process, you know, and, and join with the heartfelt intention of learning how your team members are doing things really well and looking for areas of opportunity, not gaps, not negatives, not failures, areas of opportunity, wherein perhaps you could go and lean in and create ways for them to upskill you know, deliver more value and certainly you know, grow their own careers too. That's interesting because you also talked about um, feedback as well from, from mm-hmm. your customers. And that's also getting in, in the trenches as well and being willing to, to hear that. So, you know, like, so there's, there's the aspect with your sales team, but also with your customers as, as well. And leaders have to be, make sure that they're available to, to their customers and hear what they have to say, rather than waiting for the, uh, you know, for it to the feedback to come through the various ranks, they need to be like very much front and center of what you ask for. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just last night, I was on a phone call at six p.m. my time. I don't like doing that. I'm a family man. I prioritize them. But I had a West Coast customer who I saw an email come in from, and her cell phone number was in the signature. She was the SVP of ops at a very important customer. Mm-hmm. I shot her a text message and said, "You got a minute to talk?" It's Barrett, and she was like, "Yeah, at six p.m., but sure." And I jumped on a call. We talked for 10 minutes. And at the end, she said, this mattered to me. I said, why? She said, because you got on a phone call after hours. Yes. But also you asked first and foremost, 
what could we do better? The first thing I said to her was, what could we do better? And she said, you know, it's really not so much better as I want to capture this very specific thing in the way that we're asking to work with you in this next project. And I don't feel like we really nailed it. And I said, all right, why don't you send me the way you think we should architect it in the SOW, right? Our statement of work. I'll go back to our team and make sure we agree that the language works for how we do that deliverable. We'll get it done for you. She said, I feel heard. I think that's what matters. At the end of the day, Janice, is being intentional around opening up areas of opportunity to listen to your customer, to your team members, to your peers, and then just being humble about it. Yeah, love it, love it. So what steps have you taken within your sales organization to make sure you remain focus because you can do what you do but you've got to make sure that other people walk the walk as as well and talk the talk so so what steps do you take to make sure everybody is really focused on the buyers and and customers we talk about it constantly like every conversation every deal review every forecast meeting every team conversation every interaction we have is about the customer and we iter- we reiterate it constantly. I think what that does is sets a tone for that it's important to me, mm-hmm. important to senior leadership, important to the business. So I've already noticed, like we've got this new individual, I won't say her name on recording, but she's great. She comes from a company I know. I've worked with her before. I trust her in terms of her kind of background and pedigree. But I was curious to see how she'd operate in this model. And one of the first things she said is like, everyone's so helpful. I said, yep. I said, everyone always asks me like about the thing that I'm trying to solve for the customer. I went, yep. So you build a culture by making it a part of who you are. So change comes from action, obviously. We all know that as human beings. And so if you say every day when I wake up, I'm going to learn something, and then you're transparent about it. Good example is like yesterday, my kiddo's sick because five-year-olds get sick. And I didn't just say, hey, I'm out of office for a few minutes to the group on Slack. I said, hey, my son's sick. I'm going to take off for an hour and a half, take him to the doctor, get him some meds. Don't bug me. Like I, I'm going to be offline for an hour and a half, which is very un-American for this worth, but I'm going to be unavailable for an hour and a half. Um, but you've got each other, help each other. And I'll see you in an hour and a half. And I came back an hour and 15 minutes later and they had helped each other. There were a few questions that come up. They had collaborated. I signed, you know, back on, if you will, and just said, Hey team, I'm back here. And they said, Oh, cool. How is he? Is everything good? We made it about each other, about caring and taking care of each other because I was vulnerable. Leadership needs to lead with their heart. At the end of the day, it comes down to being transparent and intentional. I think you set the tone by being that first, as I mentioned in my example before, and then your team follows. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's re- really important. It's so like you can't ask someone to do something you're not willing to do do yourself. And also you need to demonstrate the behaviors that you want within your team, within the organization. Exactly. So, yeah, love that. Love that. OK, so what tried and tested strategy would you offer listeners to enable them to scale their sales? I think it's, as we've talked about listening to the customer first, I think of it as the trifecta. You need three things. You need really good demand gen marketing, awareness, make sure folks know who you are, where they live in you know, the market and how to get in touch. You need salespeople that are consultative, that are prescriptive, people that listen to and run a proper discovery wherein they can actually tailor a response and actually teach them something. So that's sort of like um, teach, tailor, and take control methodology, right? Um, but I think also... And that idea, we have to teach at the core of it. And so we have to be very intentional that the modern buyer has already, yes, they've consumed your marketing. They probably talk to your salespeople, but ultimately now they're talking to the community around you. So it's that partnership idea, the third kind of pillar, if you will, of go to market. If you're not developing a community, developing an ecosystem and creating a, a nearbound methodology around your brand awareness, your brand consideration is more than just yourself. It's more than just your salespeople and your marketing efforts. It's the businesses that interact with you. It's the ripple effect of that tone in the market because 
demand gen is great. Table stakes, sales is important and partnerships is also equally valuable. But the individual brand, mark my words on this, this is the next 10 years. It is your every team member, not your sales or C, I mean, everyone, CEO down to brand new, you know, CS individual product lead or otherwise, everyone needs to have a brand that they put out into the world as best you can. And you shouldn't control it. Everyone's indexing on like, well, let me write the copy for you. And we're going to give you this stuff. Nope. Keep it simple. Your go to market for the next three to five years should be focused on helping all of your team members develop a, a voice in the market, a voice on LinkedIn, a voice on Twitter, a voice on these platforms and bring all of that value to the market around why you are a thought leader without trying to monetize it. Just be helpful. Just always be helping and you'll elevate your, your opportunity overall. It's interesting because there are still a lot of organizations that are very threatened by that, by allowing people sure. to develop their own brand and thought leadership. And they feel it's it's taken away rather than adding. Um, and so if you were a sales professional that very much and there's lots of SDRs nowadays that are in that that space and you were you felt that you're in an organization where you needed to hide it to, for it to be very covert. What would you, you say, are they in the wrong organization? Yeah. I mean, I think it's situational. So yeah, I guess my gut instinct is if that's who you are and who you want to be, maybe you're in the wrong business mm. or organization to your point. I, I'm not convinced that, that you couldn't educate the opportunity to the business as well, though. I think thought leadership is important when it's genuine you see a lot of folks on LinkedIn doing like the formatted, you know, I'm a thought leader. Let me go and say stuff. I, if you looked at my profile a year and a half ago, I had 3,500 or 4,000 connections. Most of them were my peers. I wasn't really active in talking about stuff. And then I took on a role at HubSpot wherein I was responsible for go-to-market strategy in some capacity, and it was global. I want to learn from people that had been there and done the work and could tell me what to not do and help me learn from their experience. What ended up happening is I went to LinkedIn, didn't find a lot of it in my feed, started to seek it out. And as I did, I started to have conversations and actually turned it into my own podcast, frankly, mm -hmm. because I wanted to help others. I didn't want to have somebody else be in that position. I've got 11,500 people now on LinkedIn in just about a year. It's been a crazy experience. But the reason I share that is not to brag so much as I did it on my own accord. I didn't ask permission. I did it because I was talking about partnerships and talking about at the time how HubSpot could go to market more effectively and how we could leverage our partnerships to deliver value to customers and all the things that I believe to be valuable and true and important because they were ever present in the organization, but not always amplified. And when I left about six months ago, that brand came with me. And now I'm at this top solutions partner and able to take the learnings that I've had and apply it back to the market again. And Newbreed loves it. They love the fact that I'm active on LinkedIn and I get to share value and you know have conversations like I am with you. It's it's helpful to me and certainly helpful to our customers. I think if you're in a position where you don't have that opportunity, but you want it safely, I'll use that word safely, my encouragement would be go for it. Like have a have a chance and, and see what happens. I always have a rule of like, don't say bad things about your company or other people and always be kind. If you lead with good intent, I think ultimately organizations that are afraid of it are going to start to come around because they're going to have to. Yeah, they've got no choice. They've got no choice. Yeah. Lovely, yep. lovely. Okay, so Barrett, if you were on a desert island on your own, what would be the one thing you took with you? Um, I had this question a couple of months ago. I, uh, it's funny, I didn't grow up like this, but I have a multi-tool that I've had for a couple of years. It just sort of showed up in my life one day. I needed it for something and I hang on to it now. Um, I've found that that's sort of my go-to in terms of a tool because it's got, you know, scissors and a little knife blade and some, um, um, 
you know, like a little wrench on it, like all the little things that I could use to, you know, make a fire and build a fort or whatever and, and survive. Um, but I think I would want, if I'm on the desert island, a way to communicate with my family more than anything, even if it means that I'm there by myself. So call it a cell phone or a sat phone or whatever, but um, my family is very important to me. And so while I might have to build a tent from scratch, if you will, um, I'd rather have a lifeline to them to at least, you know, hear their voices and, and share stories. So which one would be the priority? Oh gosh. Um, connection to my family. Yeah. Yeah. I'll work with my hands. I'll figure it out. I'll use a coconut or whatever, <laughs> but I gotta, I gotta have my family. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. You've, you've, you've got it, Barrett. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you and I've learned so much um, from you. I'm definitely having you, you back again. I, I love what you have to say. Oh, um, and I think there's so many sales leaders that can learn from, from your mindset and the way that you're doing things. And, you know, both of us really want this industry to continue to modernize and, um, you know, be future focused. So that's why I think this is a really important uh, message that you're giving out. So thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Your Sales podcast, Barrett. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for the conversation. Great questions. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the captioned show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.